0: You see me back here? Don't mind me as I uh, set the tone. What, what I want to do, welcome by the way, if you're new here, my name is Matt Moberg, this isn't standard, so please don't, don't freak out quite yet, but what I'd like to do is start back here in the corner where I'm barely visible, and if you'll allow it, what I'd like to do in a minute is just take a moment of silence for all of the wide-eyed young couples who decided to start dating at the end of January, completely oblivious to the fact that they are not ready for Valentine's Day and what comes with it. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mind Valentine's Day. Do not misquote my words. Don't get it twisted. I do love Valentine's Day in the same way where I love my wife's birthday, and I love taking uh, the ACTs. Really, you know, any experience that comes with high expectations and no history of actually meeting those, that's how I define a really good time. But I feel for all of these young couples who started dating in January because, um, well, I've been there. In fact, I wanted to start with a story real quick. When I was, when was I, 16? 16, 17. I met this girl named Caroline who told me that her people were from England. And I said, girl, don't you know you're from heaven? And she said, what? And um, that didn't go as I thought it would. But we started dating and after uh, December and Christmas, We got the appropriate papers together. Our lawyers got involved. We contractually worked it out that by the end of January, we were actually officially an item. It was a big deal, a big moment. I didn't realize that Valentine's Day was coming up, though. And so there were big things coming. And I knew as we started dating those first few weeks, status quo, uh, nothing really to write home about. There was no climactic moments of any kind, but I knew that I had to have one coming up. I knew that she... Had high expectations for what Valentine's Day would bring. And who's I'd let her down. So to this day I wrote her one of the dumbest songs that I've ever written. And my intention was to give it to her on that day, but our lives kind of got in the way. Our families had plans for us that Valentine's Day, and so we couldn't get together until Valentine's night. Now, Valentine's night is when our parents both fell asleep, and I took advantage of my dad's car keys that were sitting in the laundry room, and I drove over to Caroline's house late at night, song in hand. Just ready to make this young girl's dreams come true, really is what I was there to do. And when I got there, um, well, listen. Do you want to hear just a little bit of the song? Yeah, I can't do the whole thing because I only wrote down the chorus that I still have. Oh boy, okay. This is embarrassing. From the other side of the sea, away from your king and queen, you found a boy who. Loved Heaven in this hell. It's bold. It was aggressive. You don't flippantly promise anybody that you can be their heaven in the midst of their hell, but that's what I did, and that's why I drove over the middle of the night and I intended to tell her. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the song because when I was one verse through, I realized that my audience of one had quickly grown into an audience of three, and her parents weren't as amused by what they were hearing. They didn't call for an encore right away, instead they threatened to call the police. And so needless to say, I ran right away. And by the time I got home, uh, my parents had already been notified of my activities, and well, Caroline and I, we did not survive that month. We did not survive that moment. You just, we didn't take up the distance involved when I was grounded for the rest of the school year. And so in light of all of that love that was lost that day, can we just take a moment of silence for all of these young couples who just, just don't know what they're getting into right now. Eyes closed, heads bowed. This is sacred stuff we're dealing with. Now, for those of you who are very concerned, like I thought I came to church tonight, and this isn't, those of you who brought people here, <laughs> you're whispering right now, he usually just talks about the Bible, I swear. <laughs> Here's the reason why I told you that story. There is a purpose behind it. I bring it up because as I was thinking about, you know, Carolinas, I often do. When I think about my relationship with Caroline, and I was reading the text that we have for this week, it is striking to me, this will sound strange at first, but all the different similarities between my relationship with Caroline and my relationship with Christ. I take it even further then and realize how I'm struck by the similarities not just between my relationship with Christ, but how similar my relationship with Christ is to yours. I say similar and not the same because there are obviously differences. No two stories are the same, but there are pieces in patterns that I have discovered in all of our different stories that tend to mirror one another. They are not universal, there is no pattern that is universal, but there is this piece of it, which reminds me that we are all in this thing together. And I articulate the process like this is how I've seen it play out. If I can get this to work. What starts off in inspiration, how your heart is strangely warmed. You're excited for no apparent reason. You don't really know all that's going on, but you're pretty juiced about what's happening. That then leads to a place of awareness or activation. You start acting upon the heart that was strangely warmed. You go on dates. You set up devotionals. You join a small group. You write songs for your girlfriend, things of that sort, the activation stage. That then leads you to this new place of experimentation. Experimentation is the time where you you go outside where the boundaries have previously been set. You you try something new. It's untreaded water. So I'm in relationship, that song, going over there to play it, to tell her how I feel. I'm putting myself out there in a vulnerable way. Didn't know if it actually would be endorsed or if it would make her puke. I didn't know how it would play out, but I was going to put myself out there in the same way that we do spiritually. You go through the devotions, you go through the small groups, you show up here at 5 o'clock on a Sunday night, but sometimes there are questions that bring you further than this space is allowing you to go. There are doubts that creep creep up. There are mysteries that you want to further tap into. And so you start putting yourself out there. And in many of our experiences, this leads you to the parents stage where the ones who have drawn all the lines start to tell you when you are coloring outside of them. And they kick you out of your home. And they send you on your way. And tragically, though this space that follows the parent space could be the space where our story starts, whether it's because of fear or shame, more often than not, this is where our story stops. And we go backwards where we were called to go forwards. Story doesn't start, we go back to the place it once started. I bring all this up because I saw that in our text this week when we're looking at Simon Peter's story. Simon Peter's story seems to have this pattern, this process in play, and I want to identify, this will not be a sermon that is going to offer some prescriptive advice, but descriptive and affirming advice. This is the story that we are in. This is how the process works. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke 5, 1-11. through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine because we will follow it on screen right here. it reads like this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down. The nets. Let's stop there for a second. Now, if you were just reading it off the Bible and not in the screens, you might have had an editorial uh, heading that's kind of hovering above that section that says something along the lines of like Jesus calling Peter into being a disciple. Jesus, uh, the initiation of Simon Peter, something of that sort. It may say that and that is true, but that should not lead you to believe that this is the first time that their paths have crossed. We know actually that it's not. Because in the previous chapter, Luke 4, we have a scene where Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. He is teaching all morning. And then he goes over to Simon's house afterwards for some sandwiches. And when he gets there, he sees Simon's mother-in-law on the couch with a high fever, sick. And Jesus heals her on the spot. Many scholars actually believe that this is why Simon Peter would later reject Jesus. That was funnier than you thought it was. You'll get it when you go home. This isn't the first time their paths have crossed though. Simon has had an experience with Jesus. But it's a second-hand experience. He wasn't the one who was sick on the couch, his mother-in-law was. So though he was dazzled by what he saw, it wasn't disruptive. He was able to move on to chapter five and go back to life as it was. But his story starts in that space in chapter four, where his mother in law goes from sick to healed. And he was dazzled. In my experience, in, in many of your experiences that I've, I've had the privilege of you telling me, you've been in that room. Your story started in that same space. No, you weren't blind and then suddenly you could see, but you knew other people who were. You heard a testimony that made you wonder if your story can mean more than it is right now. You had friends who once were selfish and now are overwhelmingly generous. You know people who were... uh reactive and angry and now are patient and empathetic. You were watching callings being claimed, kids being loved, injustices being dismantled, tall walls being turned into long tables. You've gotten glimpses into glorious things and it's made you wonder if there's enough in there for you too. Many of our stories start in that spot. Or if we're not all of a sudden like our lives are flipped upside down and nothing will ever be the same again. It's usually like we were strangely warmed and we leaned in a little bit more than we had before. Doesn't say it in the text, but my hunch is that Peter leaned in like he never had before. When he goes out into that boat the night before Jesus goes on the shore and starts preaching, my hunch is that now that he has seen the one that the people had been waiting for, the prophets have been prophesying over, now that the provider, the one who could put a stop to high fevers and pain, now that he had actually shown up, Nothing would be the same again. Peter is moving into the day job with a new kind of awareness that there is a different sheriff in town and we're going to be all right. But then he goes out at night and though we maybe had an expectation that it would play out otherwise, he drops his empty net again and again and again into the bottom of the sea. And again and again and again, he pulls it up and there still is nothing to see. See, the text doesn't tell us about that moment, but it kind of flies by where it says the fishermen were on the shore washing their nets. Can you imagine how painful that is? Spent all night trying to make a living, trying to make ends meet, trying to be a provider, trying to play your part and do what you're here to do. And then you're on the shore listening to somebody preach about God's goodness and God's providence while you are scrubbing your net thinking, what goodness? What providence? Where is this God, this rabbi keeps speaking about? Have you ever been in that place before? Where the God that you heard about is not the God that you could hear from? I had this experience at one point in my life. I was in a more charismatic church, and it was at a point in my journey where I was um, desperate to hear from God, or at least to understand what that would mean, to have some kind of contact with the divine that would be formative and that would speak clarity and conviction into my life. And I went to this church where the pastor stood up, and he said with sincerity and no malice, that if you want to hear from God, what you need to do is you need to stay up all night until God speaks. Do not go to bed until you hear the voice of God. You'll hear God speak. God will honor that audacity, He'll honor you that, that commitment, that willingness to actually do that. And so I did that. I took the boat out and I lowered the net and I put the coffee on the pot and I stayed up all night and I waited. And I waited, and I waited, and my heart broke when the morning sun came up, but God's voice never came through. Another point in my life, I had this uh, neighbor next door who was a college kid who knew that I was spiritually curious, and he wanted to encourage that and push it further down the road. And so we were having this conversation in the backyard where... um, he said, "Hey, man, if you ever want to talk more about the X's and O's of spirituality and start getting some more, you know, how do we can move you forward? We'd love to grab coffee with you." So I said, "Sure, sign me up. I'm in." And we went to Caribou, and we sat for like three hours. And this guy is talking to me about speaking in tongues, healings. He is talking about the joy that comes when you are living fully in the spirit, and. After three hours of hearing this guy bursting at the seams over the Spirit, he said, would you like to be baptized in the Spirit? I mean, when you sell it like that, like who's going to say no? I said, sure. Yeah, sign me up. I'm in. We go out to the parking lot, carry coffee. And um, he starts going through, okay, so I'm going to pray over you now. Puts one hand on my head, the other hand on my chest. And he said, now as I'm praying, here's what will happen you are going to feel the spirit moving inside of you. And what you need to do is to make sure that you keep your tongue loose so that the spirit can speak through you. How do you keep your tongue loose? Because the moment you start thinking about your tongue staying loose, it's like, there's no way it's loose anymore. I can't do it. Shouldn't have said that, man. But he starts praying and um, never had an encounter like that. We're in this parking lot, though, and um, he's doing like this deep breathing and and he's, he's praying and... He's speaking in tongues or maybe just some like muffled whispers and it's going on. And he's going, he's asking me like intermittently, do you, do you feel anything coming out? Like, is it happening yet? Not yet, man. No, keep going. Though. Keep going. So he's praying and I can feel his hand like pressing harder against my head. And, and um, he's got my hand in my chest and my heart's kind of racing like I'm nervous now. Like, and now I'm questioning, like, is my tongue loose enough? Like, is, is that what's going on here? I kid you not, we are in this parking lot for 20 to 25 minutes, him praying, where eventually it got to that point where I realized that I had another empty net in my hands. And I had to say to him, listen, man, I got to go. I got to leave. And I remember crying on that drive home, not because I really expected, like, that, I don't know what to expect, I didn't know what to expect, but I expected some kind of, like, t- contact. I expected that if, if this God, who is a God of love, if this God loved me as much as he apparently loved this man over here, the least I could experience was some kind of bubbling up in my gut, right? I mean, is that too much to ask? If my mother-in-law can be healed on the couch, why can't I catch any fish at the lake? It's an exhausting place to be. And yet, I stay in that boat. I keep climbing back in. Because for all the thousands of nights of empty nets, I keep experiencing this pull that says, your story hasn't stopped yet and so neither should you. It's this pull from something or someone who says, go out into the deep. You were born for more than the shore. And then I I go sometimes. And oftentimes I experience this boat-breaking fullness that I didn't expect to find. Now I tell you all that about me because I think that for many of you, and I say that because I've sat with many of you, you, you know what it's like to feel let down by what you hoped you would find inside of Jesus, Jesus people, church, Christianity, religion, whatever it might be, you know what it's like to enter into the house of God and feel like you don't belong here, at least not like they do. And yet you still show up here because you felt the pull. You felt the spirit step into your story and say, don't stop yet. I see that emptiness. I see the fatigue. I see the frustration. I see how you've struggled to make sense of this thing, and you will continue to struggle to make sense of this thing. But keep going. Push out from the shore and go into the deep. And Peter does. He has this moment where though he is fatigued and though he is frustrated and though it doesn't make sense anymore, he continues to be pulled and allow himself to be pulled by this irrational force that says that love's leading you further. Will you go and see it? What's interesting about this text right here is that when we find out that they're washing on the shores, their nets. The kind of nets that they have, they are the nets that are only purposeful at night. It doesn't make sense to fish during the day with these nets. The the efficacy of the fishing hinges upon the invisibility of the nets. And so by day, which is where they were right now, this is ludicrous. And yet Peter says, sure, I'll go out into the depths which to make the ludicrous even more bizarre is not where the fish were. The fish on this lake were only by the shore. They were by the fresh springs. But in the depths, you're not going to find much out there. How many times when you felt the Spirit pulling on your story whether it was to come to this place or to join that group or to take a new step of faith, whatever it might be, whatever it might look like, to entertain a new idea. How many times did you hesitate because you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. I've ran the numbers. I've done the math. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I should be walking away, but I can't seem to shake this pulling on me. Peter. Can't seem to shake the pulling on him. I want you to see this then. What happens to him? When Peter goes out there, when they had done so, that's going out there, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is the beautiful thing and the terrible thing about growing spiritually and leaving the shore for the deeps, is that once you say yes to Jesus and he takes you where he intends for you to go, beyond the surface of the status quo, beyond the boundary lines that church and tradition may have told you as your limits, once you say yes to that place, What comes to you has to go through you. You can't unsee what you just saw. You can't erase it. And if you try to, if you try to keep the revelation of God, the invitation of God all to yourself, well, then your ship's going to sink. Your story's not actually going to make it. So many stories haven't died in the shore. It's not the people who just walked away where so many stories come to a stop. It's the people who said yes to Jesus, got a glimpse at where they needed to go next and what they needed to do. And they realized he was asking too much and spent the rest of their lives trying to forget about it. And I understand why, I understand for Peter why he doesn't want to go any further. Peter immediately after this moment he turns to Jesus and he says get out of here Lord I'm a sinful man for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John this is not how the support story was supposed to go joy is a disruptive thing hardship is a disruptive thing Everything that we thought would happen didn't happen, and now we have to make new choices, and we'd rather not. So, Jesus, please leave so that we don't have to. Please leave before you threaten our status quo any further than you already have. What I love about this exchange at the end of this conversation is that Peter says to Jesus, Get out of here. Uh, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, he doesn't look at him and go, Peter, no, you're not. You're doing great, bud. You got no stains. You're fine. There's no skeletons in your clothes. He doesn't even honor that. When Peter says, Jesus, leave because I am a sinner, Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus, leave. I'm a sinner. Don't be so scared. And yet we get the fear, don't we? Because this moment here, it's a universal moment. It's an accessible moment where it's both beautiful and terrifying. It's beautiful because if there is a something or someone that is pulling on us, it's because there is a purpose that is in us. And it's also terrifying because if there's a purpose in us, then we have to go where the pole is pulling in order to find out what that purpose is. And what we will quickly discover is that when we actually are faithful to the pull, we might lose a lot of people along the way. Your growing, your spiritual expansion, your fidelity to Christ, it may cost you the spiritual community that you came out of. There might be people who are less excited about your growth as you presently are. And there's thousands of voices who will tell you to stay still. There are thousands of Aaron's who are standing at the bottom of the mountain waiting to make you a calf of convenience, but there are a few voices like Moses who will say, come for a walk in the woods and let me show you the freedom that you deserve. I, I, I hear this story, I think about our stories, and I think about how the Spirit stirs and moves us, and I recognize that whenever love is going to actually be leading us to where we go, We cannot be led if we will not leave. Whether it's a place, a people, an old paradigm, or the nets that we can no longer fish with. But every time God's expanding who we are as people, it often requires mobility from where we were before. And it's not easy. There are reasons to be afraid. If you study scripture, you study history as we know it. All of the people who first see something that others cannot see, the enlightened ones, they are either shot, shunned, or they walk with a limp the rest of their lives. They don't win popularity contests. Martin Luther King Day was not established immediately after his death. It takes a while for other people to start to see what he was seeing. And the same could be said for you. But the piece that we find in this story, in this pattern, is that you are not strange, you are not wrong. This is how the story works. And so it is so imperative, it's so important that we find a people who understand that we can look one another in the eyes and say, I know it's hard as hell, and I know that you're lonely, and I know that you're worried but I'm going to stay with you, and we're going to walk through the woods because we have places to go because the pull is coming on us as we walk. I got an email this past week. Maybe that's, this is what's coloring for me. Can I vent real quick? Thank you. I was telling Jerome about this, actually. I got an email from some guy who I um, haven't seen since I was a kid. We grew up in the same spiritual community, though, and he told me that it is his duty as. what did I say, watch Watchtower. To name, um, to shut down all false teachers and heretics out there. And, and, uh, and he's shutting me down. I don't know what that means, but that was his intent behind it. And he was yelling it. I think it, that's what all caps would imply. <laughs> and what I've, what I've learned, though, and what Debbie's had to learn and what we've learned, but I'll speak for myself, is that in these past few years of even leading this church and, and who we've become as a community. I've never had in my life more people who do not like me. And yet I've never been more convinced that I'm loved by God. I've never had more critics coming at me. And yet I've never felt more free. There is this beautiful mystery to our stories that I just, I don't know if I'm adequately conveying it in this story, but I want us to all hear it. This is how it works. Is that whenever you are spiritually growing, and the Spirit is in your life and actually pulling you forward to the places that you didn't think you could previously go, when you are actually doing your best to be faithful to Christ, it might come at the cost of losing fellowship with the crowd. It might be a painful process, but keep walking. After this uh, service night, uh, I want to show. There's a 15-minute video that, if you want to stick around and see. Um, it's, it's the story of Rob Bell done by the New Yorker, and it just does a great job at lifting up what this, how this actually looks, how that actually plays out in real life, not abstract, but real terms. And so if you want to stick around afterwards, I'd love to uh, watch that with you. Let me pray real quick. Jesus, God, you are faithful, Lord. God, I think um, so often we have these different excuses and reasons why we need to stay put. Uh, Whether it's shame or fear, loneliness, anger, God, this sense that we can only go this far. But then we remember, Jesus, that you were killed. Jesus, we remember that your family thought you were crazy. That your own disciples wanted to leave, but they thought, well, where else can we go? Jesus, you are always calling us to wider and more expansive places. And it's always costly to come, but give us the courage to do so. Because it's only in that place where we actually encounter who you really are. In Christ's name, we pray all these things together. Amen.